no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi. And welcome into First and Pod after Thursday Night Football. The final Thursday Night Football game of the year. The Browns clinch a playoff spot. They beat the Jets 37-20. to They are on to the postseason uh, for the first time since the COVID year of 2020. As you can tell, I'm Andrew Filipponi without my sidekick, Danny Parkins. He is uh, away taking a staycation. How about that? He's at home, but he's not working. And so he's left me here along with producer Spencer Ray, who will bring in in a little bit here to go over our normal routine of going through the questions of every game, every week. That's what we do here on this podcast. If for some reason you're new to it, welcome on board. That's what we do. We go through every single game. And uh, we'll start with this Thursday night game. So the Browns season is one where this back in August would not have been a huge shock to get in as what will likely be a wild card. Their win total set on all the big sports books was nine and a half. But to do it this way, okay, so you lose Deshaun Watson, you go through P.J. Walker and Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback, you lose Nick Chubb in the second game of the year, both of the offensive tackles are out, Wills, uh, on the left side, Conklin on the right side. You know, they've gone through huge adversity. And Joe Flacco put the exclamation point on his remarkable renaissance season in the first half of this game. He had over 300 passing yards and three touchdowns in the first half and did really nothing from that point on. I mean, it was a very boring second half of the game where both teams traded field goals. The Browns had 34 points at halftime. They were on pace for 70. Stefanski went into this game as the favorite to win the coach of the year. I think he added to that resume in this game, although frankly, he would not be my choice. Um, It is in Cleveland. You could tell in the stadium there, they were showing the lunatics on Amazon throughout the way that some of these people dress up for these games they're, they're chanting Pittsburgh sucks. They're chanting Joe Flacco's name while he's falling asleep on the bench, which was uh, which was very strange. I don't know how somebody in a loud place with 75,000 people and rock music playing falls asleep on the bench, but he did. Um, you could tell that it's like um, an exorcism there. It's, uh, it's a cathartic thing for the Browns. Anytime they uh, experience any level of prosperity, and success because it's been in such short supply there. They've been such a losing organization for such a long time. And I would think, and I'm the opposite of a Browns fan, I'm in Pittsburgh, that this team would be an easy one for fans to gravitate to and relate to because there is that underdog quotient there. Now, it'd be a little dicey adopting Joe Flacco when he had quarterbacked the team that abandoned your city 30 years ago and beat you time after time. But hey, I, I, if I'm a Browns fan, I don't care uh, where the where the uh, good quarterback play good quarterback play comes from because they've experienced again so little of it since they come back into the league. So uh, for me, my my big takeaway from watching the Browns 
put this huge number on a Jets defense that, by the way, was talking about how they were the 85 Bears before the season started. Uh, I would be pretty optimistic that this can carry over into the playoffs, that you can, with the defense, to, uh, with Jim Schwartz, Miles Garrett, with their secondary play, that they can give, they'll probably be the five seed, the AFC South winner, a run for its money. Um, you know, Baltimore, if they go there, they've already played in Baltimore and won this year and scored 30 plus points there. So I can't believe I'm saying this, but as a Browns fan and as for me, a, a Browns hater, this is the best chance they've had of doing any kind of postseason damage since they've returned to the NFL and they're doing it with a guy who has five kids and was literally probably like making hand Thanksgiving turkeys for arts and craft class with them uh, before he returned to the NFL about a month and change ago. It really is wild. And then one quick thing on the Jets. I get it. I understand why the New York media there wants Robert Sala fired. You know, what's the point? You know, I think you could even come up with an arrangement if you brought somebody else in to keep hacking around for next year with Aaron Rodgers and that's the handshake deal you make with the new coach and with Rodgers. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to you know, throw a hissy fit if the head coach of the team is removed. He came there in part because well, they hired Nathaniel Hackett because they wanted to pair him up with, with Rodgers. Sala, for me, his teams too often are undisciplined, unprepared, not ready to play. And I understand this was not what he, what he anticipated this year. He didn't think he was going to have to patch work it together with guys like Zach Wilson, Trevor Simeon at quarterback. But the coup de grace would be you had ample opportunities both in the offseason and this season to bring Joe Flacco in, and they refused to do it. And so whoever's most responsible for that, whether it's Salah or the general manager, needs to pay for it. But if I were, if I were a New York Jets fan, this would be – the salt, the ultimate salt in the wounds that our season already a complete joke and waste of time late in the year. We have to endure a guy we played last year and had in our building, watch him throw for 300 yards, three touchdowns and beat us to get his new team to the playoffs. Okay. So that's Thursday night football. Let's bring Spencer Ray. And this is going to be Spencer's on air debut. He's usually behind the scenes, typing things up, keeping us on task making sure Danny and I don't go too far off course here with this thing. So we'll do what we typically do, uh, Spencer, except uh, normally Danny and I rotate who introduces each game and each topic. So I'll just let you handle each one of those, and then I'll try to get as many takes off as I can on each game in a concise, timely manner. So let's start with the first game. I think you've got Dallas and Detroit Saturday night queued up for me. Yeah, as Danny likes to say, let's get to the games. The Cowboys are going for an undefeated home season. Would a win over the NFC North champ Detroit Lions restore faith in Dallas? No, it would not for me because of where this game is. Uh, It's in Dallas, and they're not going to play playoff games there unless another wild card team makes it to the NFC Championship game against them. So unfortunately for the Cowboys, their season's going to end at Washington in Week 18 like it did last year. And even if they were to play starters there, which they might, they they, they might not, depends on what happens here in these Week 17 games, 
they're not going to be anything that's convincing or persuasive on the road to instill belief that they can win three road playoff games and get to the Super Bowl. Uh, their numbers, it's just the the splits that people have brought up all season continue to get worse and worse for them. Dak Prescott, I'm going to look at my notes here for a second to make sure that I have the number right on him. Dak Prescott this year has 20 touchdowns to two interceptions at home. Those numbers, think about if he played all, uh, think if he played 17 games in that environment, you'd have 40 touchdowns to four picks. He'd be by far the MVP. 134 passing yards at Buffalo. They had 10 points through three quarters in Miami. I'm sorry. No, I can't. uh, Even if they beat a really good team that has a better record than them right now, it's not going. You'd have to be a fool uh, to trust the Cowboys. Now, if the game were in Detroit and they went there and they scored 35 and they beat the Lions, that's a different story. Their two measuring stick games just happened at Buffalo, at Miami, close but no cigar in Miami, blown out by Buffalo. No. No, they're going to go into the playoffs just like they always do, which is a team that has a good inflated record with uh, a coach and a quarterback here that have won one playoff game combined since they got together in Dallas with a difficult road to get to their first Super Bowl since 1995. So no, sorry, Cowboys fans. Even if you beat Detroit by four touchdowns, I'm not going to believe in you. All right, up next we have the Bengals and Chiefs. And Travis Kelsey went on his podcast and offered a spicy field rant with his brother about his personal and, you know, the offensive struggles in Kansas City. What's your reaction? Uh, I am am amazed by how poorly the Chiefs' greatest players in first ballot Hall of Fame – arguably, in in Kelsey's case, the best to play his position. Mahomes is striving to get there. I am just uh, repeatedly flabbergasted by how incensed these guys are and how they're unable to control themselves when things don't go as planned. You know, the old saying of act like you've been there before There's none of that in Kansas City. And Mahomes, I saw, he did a press conference where he said, I like the way we're acting, throwing helmets, freaking out on the sidelines, dropping F-bombs. In Mahomes' case, blaming the referees for the Bills' loss because of the Tony uh, penalty. He said he likes it because it uh, illustrates that people care. Um, I think if you keep yourself composed and act like this is not a permanent struggle and one that they're going to eventually get over and flip a switch in time for the playoffs, I would prefer, if I were a Chiefs fan, if Kansas City faked and tried to exude false confidence or false bravado in themselves. And that, you know, people like me would call them out for it and say, you know, it's artificial, it isn't real, they can't actually believe this. This type of reaction tells me that they are a team that's in meltdown mode, that is um, 
in, 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 hey, you look like you're in free fall when you play this way and your players can't handle it. And I do think some of this falls back on Andy Reid. Andy Reid is by no means a disciplinarian coach. He's an analytical X's and O's coach who just trusts his players to do their jobs. Well, they're not. And I'll go back to what he said after they lost that Bills game when he blamed the NFL. There was a better way to handle that situation, in my opinion, than to just you know take the uh, the low road of uh, going after officiating for a clearly wrong call. Uh, yeah, I don't have a good feeling about the Chiefs, Spencer. I would not be surprised at all if they lost again Sunday afternoon to the Bengals. Cincinnati's gone there in one games. I know with Burrow, uh, but I'm not. The line seven, I'm not convinced the Chiefs are a touchdown better than any team in the NFL at the moment. Yeah, they're three and one in the Joe Burrow era. The Bengals are against the Chiefs. Up next, we have the Saints and Bucks. Bucks can lock up the division. And surprisingly, Baker Mayfield is having a way better season than Patrick Mahomes. What's next for the former number one overall pick? Yeah, most of uh, the uh, football media seems to think that it's fait accompli that Baker Mayfield is just going to end back up in uh, Tampa Bay, that this is a one-year, $4 million deal, and they're going to find a way like, say, Seattle did with Geno Smith to extend this relationship beyond this year. And there would be reason for Baker to do that because he's so well-traveled now. He's been on four teams in two years. He's found a home. He's found a place where they like him. He's clearly comfortable there. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment. We're seeing what's happening in Denver with Russell Wilson. And Sean Payton doesn't want to extend that relationship. He doesn't want to risk Russ getting injured and having those bonuses kick in. And there's been a lot of, uh, there's been some high moments, some high marks there, some some moments of, uh, quarterback success with Russell Wilson to throw 26 touchdown passes. But we saw it in the Detroit game. There's also been moments where Peyton's wanted to pull his hair out. I just wonder if that's a destination for Mayfield. Uh, Peyton is a quarterback whisperer. He, with Drew Brees, uh, put together some of the most potent offenses in the NFL. Brees is going to the Hall of Fame because of that partnership. He's an undersized guy. So is Mayfield. They're both fiery competitors. We know that Mayfield has enough arm talent. That's why he was the number one pick. And we're seeing what he's doing in Tampa Bay. Uh, What is Denver going to do? They're not in position to draft one of the two or three best quarterbacks necessarily unless they trade up and they've already traded picks because of the Russ deal. I'm going to monitor this situation. I'm not saying this because I have any kind of intimate knowledge. But if Baker Mayfield does not end up in Tampa, watch Denver because I think Baker could see himself with Sean Payton for a very long time. And in Tampa, if Todd Bowles is back, all it's going to take is one bad year for them to blow that up. And before you know it, Baker is working with a new coach and a new coordinator there. That's not the case in Denver. All right. You're watching or listening to First and Pod. We're previewing all the week 17 games. I'm Andrew Filipponi. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, first in pod here, Andrew Filipponi minus Danny Parkins, who's on staycation right now. Great time to take a staycation when all these NFL uh, playoff races and division races and whatnot are coming down to the uh, final uh, horn here. So in for Danny, we have our producer, Spencer Ray, who's introducing all of the games like Danny often does on the show. First time Spencer's been an on-air contributor. So let's get the next game going here, Spencer. What do you got? I feel like when you guys send me the rundown, we get one of these probably a month. But uh, Pony, you have a conspiracy theory about the uh, Packers-Vikings game? I do. Yours. Yeah, thank you. It's a Sunday night game on New Year's Eve. And this is going to dovetail into the next game that I'm going to talk about, which people are wondering, oh my God, there's an obvious game that's a great game that you haven't brought up yet on the show. And it's for a it's for a reason that I'll get to in a minute. Uh, it's seven and eight versus seven and eight here. And with flex scheduling late in the year, two weeks out, they could have moved this game out of there for a better game. Uh, I don't think, although maybe somebody that's more media savvy than me would be able to tell me that Dolphins and Ravens was a protected game. But I don't think it was because the Jim Nance-Tony Romo game for CBS on Sunday is Bengals and Chiefs. That game is at 425. That is the game that is going to the national audience, not Dolphins and Ravens. A lot of football fans like me are going to get Dolphins-Ravens on Sunday, but the entire country is not going to get that game because it's at 1 o'clock Eastern and there's like, you know, eight or eight or nine other games that are being played at that time. My conspiracy theory, Spencer, on why they didn't change the game times, why Dolphins-Ravens isn't getting played at 8.30 or 8.20 Eastern is because it's New Year's Eve. And I think that we just saw huge, crazy ratings for the NFL on Christmas. But... The whole appeal of this holiday is for the Eastern time zone, what happens between 11 p.m. and midnight when this game is going to be in the fourth quarter. And so my conspiracy theory is because of the timing, the date, it being New Year's Eve, I think the NFL talked to NBC and said, keep Packers and Vikings where it is. We don't want Dolphins and Ravens being played on New Year's Eve, when people are at parties, when uh, people are putting on their New Year's Eve shows. And the thing I'll use, and I know the NFL is even more powerful than college football, but when you look at the college football playoff games, when they were played on New Year's Eve, their ratings took a huge hit. Their ratings were still good, but not great. They'll do much better. The playoff will do huge ratings on New Year's Day this year. Uh, when people are off and used to watching college football, New Year's Eve night, people want to party. People in their 20s, people in their early 30s, big football fans, young young adults want to tie one off. They want to get after it. So Dolphins, uh, Ravens, 1 o'clock 
uh, people New Year's Eve during the day, they're not in that party mode yet. So that's why I think this game is the night game. That's the best reason I have to keep two losing teams who, yes, are still in quote-unquote playoff mode and the winner has a chance and the loser doesn't. That's why I think this game is at 820 and the Dolphins-Ravens game is an early game New Year's Eve that not everyone is going to get Spencer. Yeah, that's I feel like that's pretty rational. But up next, we do have our game of the week, and it is Dolphins-Ravens. There's a Lamar narrative around this game in this season that you don't agree with. Would you like to elaborate? Yes, I would. Yeah, thank you for uh, for giving me that chance, Spencer. So, look, uh, one of the takes I've seen, and this is not one of these – You know, I love all of the people that listen to the show and the podcast and interact with us on social media. This is not limited to the people who might anonymously want to chime in on football topics or opine or give opinions. This is something that I'm going to say, I'm going to, I know speak broadly here, but this is one of the things that I've seen on on shows, you know, obviously my favorite show is First Things First on FS1. But as far as the the uh, studio style sports discussion, football discussion shows go, one of the things that I think I've seen a lot of this week is this idea that uh, this, like, now or never for the Ravens. If not now, then when? If they don't win it this year, then when are they going to do it? And I'm trying to figure out the basis or the meaning behind that. Like, this is Lamar Jackson's first year in this offense. He just signed a contract extension. Now, maybe their offense, I think it's totally plausible, rational, uh, believable, logical to think that Baltimore's defense next year, maybe injuries, attrition, they don't get the same luck. Guys take a step back. I mean, their defense next season might not be the best in the NFL again, where they lead the league in sacks. They've given up the fewest points, all those things. But at the same time, there's not some kind of uh, contract. There's not some kind of star player whose future right now in Baltimore is in limbo. They solved that problem with Lamar this past offseason. And so Mahomes' contract has kicked in. He's not on a rookie deal anymore, obviously. It's not as punitive as some of these other quarterback deals, but it's not a cheap one either. Uh, Burrow's making a lot of money now. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and the Jags have struggled to a huge degree. I mean, what I'm, what I'm, Josh Allen and the Bills are going to need to, you know, fight their fannies off to even make the playoffs here in the next two weeks. All I'm saying is I don't get the sense that this is like the Ravens window to win is right now. And that's it. Um, Now Jackson's style, I would have said at this time last year, because he was such a rush. He was such a uh, run oriented, run heavy quarterback where, you know, most of his, um, you know, his, his greatest skill was as a runner. And those quarterbacks just historically don't age as well. But the way he's balanced that this year in their system, in their offense, makes me think that, okay, if they lose in the AFC Championship game, 
Why not next year or the year after? Now, now maybe they're not 14 and three again, but I, I, I just, um, I wish Danny were here in a way because I would, I would love to get his take on this. But my vantage point right now is that so many football media uh, opinionists think that this is the Ravens' best and maybe only chance to win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson. And I just reject that. I think they're the favorites to win the AFC right now. And they showed everybody that they can beat anyone, anywhere with the way they played in San Francisco Christmas night. Uh, But if I were a Ravens fan, I would feel like the coordinator and coaching changed, opened all kinds of doors and windows for this team. And they might have another half dozen or more years to compete for and win championships. All right, up next, we have the Cardinals and the Eagles. Devontae Smith said the Eagles aren't playing good football after they beat the Giants last week. What's going on with Philly, Pony? It's 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 really uh, interesting how similar the Eagles and Chiefs are the year after they win the Super Bowl. And Philly's record is better than Kansas City's. And their decline has not been as um, stark uh this season. They're at 11 and four. They can still, they're going to win the NFC East because they play Arizona here. And then they've got the giants next week, but we've seen similar reactions to their games from star players who I thought would just trust in their abilities and experience to do it again, even in the face of adversity in some tough losses. I honestly believe this. If the Eagles played in a different city or in a different market, I don't think that the panic that permeates their locker room would be as strong. You know, when you play in Philly, it's one of the most, if not the most rabid fan base in America. It's the toughest, I think, sports media market right there with New York and Boston in America. And they let these guys have it. And there's very little, um, there's very little patience. There's not a lot of benefit of the doubt given. They'll turn on you in a second. What you did yesterday isn't good enough for today. It gets forgotten fast. And I think that that affects the players on the team because they hear it. They're around it. They're not oblivious to it. It's impossible to ignore. And so when I see, Nick Sirianni chirping with players. When I see Jalen Hurts having to pull players aside and have private conversations. When I see A.J. Brown uh, refuse to talk after a game the Eagles won. Uh, The comments here that I just mentioned, uh, that Spencer just mentioned from Devontae Smith. You know, I think that that's all a byproduct of playing their games in Philadelphia. And I think... That's why it's, it's. That's why I think it's hard to win there. Just bottom line, I think that that adds pressure uh, to teams. If the if the Eagles were playing their games in Phoenix, if it were switched, I don't think that this would be uh, as big of an issue. And I'm not blaming the media for it. I'm saying the players just uh, consume it and then react to it. One more quick thing on this game: the line is 11 and a half. I think the Eagles should blow the Cardinals out. If they can't just if they can't kill this team 
with how frustrated they are coming off the Giants game, then something is really wrong with this team, and they probably will lose their first playoff game. Remember, Arizona's coach is Jonathan Gannon, who was who was Philly's defensive coordinator last year. There are a lot of people around the Eagles who think that Gannon prioritized getting the Cardinals job over game planning and concentrating on the Super Bowl. And I think a lot of players feel that way. And I look for them to use the Cardinals as their punching bag and take out a lot of their anger towards the way they played this year on this terrible team. Uh, if the Eagles are a team that can be that can turn it around this year, Spencer, they should be up 20 plus points in the in the second half of this game. Oh, for sure. And also, uh, like, you know, Pony's conspiracy theories, sometimes we almost miss a game. This was almost that game. But last week, you guys, you and Danny actually agreed on something. Don't count out Josh Allen out of the MVP race. Were you guys right? Doubling down? What are we doing? Yeah, Patriots Bills here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee's show and said, don't count out Josh Allen to win the MVP. And that's what Danny said on our uh, post-week 16 wrap-up show, that he looks at Josh Allen as a guy that can still win the MVP award. Um, I don't see how that's possible. Uh, I, I was looking at some of the things uh, on his resume this year before we came on the air because I've heard this a few places now. We, we've got a former NFL GM who does a weekly hit on our on our on my local station, the fan in Pittsburgh, who said the same thing, that Josh Allen is a threat to win the MVP. Don't count him out. He is second in the NFL in interceptions with 15. Behind Sam Howell, who just got benched for Jacoby Brissett. The Bills are 9-6. and six. That is the same record as the Chiefs. Josh Allen's numbers are very similar to Mahomes. No one is talking about Mahomes for MVP. They're talking about what's wrong with the guy. Uh, Let's not forget that Josh Allen is partially responsible for the Bills being in this spot, uh, having their playoff uh, situation in doubt, uh, being a team that has to practically win out at the end of the year to even get into the playoffs when they've won the AFC East three years in a row and we're in the AFC championship game uh, a couple of, uh, three years ago and had that two years ago blunder against the Chiefs in the last 13 seconds. He blew the Jets game in week one when Rodgers got hurt with three interceptions. He got outplayed by Mac Jones in New England. They lost to the Patriots earlier this year. Um... Just because you dig yourself a hole and are able to climb out of it, you shouldn't get an award for that. You shouldn't get an honor or an accolade for that. A lot of the Bills' problems this year are self-inflicted. And the Bills have had injuries uh, on defense. Matt Milano, Tredavious White. Um, But that's not enough for me to excuse their first half of the season struggles, their losses to teams like the Broncos at home and the Jets and Patriots, 
And I would give Josh Allen credit for engineering their turnaround. I'm going to give them a shot to win playoff games. But I'm not going to give him the MVP award because for the first half of the season, he was one of the M- he was one of the NFL's most underachieving season. And it's a 17-game award. It's not an award for what you do in the last half dozen games of the season to get your team into the playoffs. This is First in Pod, Week 17. We're a podcast. We're also a show on some affiliate stations. And for those stations, and even the podcast, here's some messages and words from our sponsors. We'll be right back. All right, you're listening to First in Pod. We're watching it on our YouTube channel. Thanks. Subscribe to First and Pod on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going through every week 17 game. Spencer Ray, our producer, is taking on an on-air role this week to help out with Danny Gone. He's got the next game for us. All right. So Debo Samuel and other 49ers players are sticking up for Brock Purdy after his terrible game against the Ravens. Do you think it's genuine? Um... Yes, I do, but I'm struggling with this one. I'm, I really am for, for, for a few reasons here. So Samuel gets into it with Cam Newton about this whole, uh, you know, comments that Newton made about uh, Brock Purdy and the reaction to the way the guy played against Baltimore. Uh, I really think that this could end up being a situation where there's a doth protest too much. Uh, component to this, you know, all year, the 49ers players, I think have rallied around Purdy and have tried to elevate him because they also want to imbue him with more confidence. You know, if a great player believes in you, like for what I do, if a hall of fame broadcaster, if somebody in our field you know, kept saying complimentary things about the way I do my show and was very, um, you know, very uh, aspir- inspirational, was telling me things about how far I could go in life doing this and, you know, all of the, uh, you know, great things that I bring to this medium. Like that would, that would, that would probably, I think, help me, do better at this. Like I, I I would, I would feel like, okay, like if this person sees this in me, I don't want to let them down, but I also start to believe it. And so when you've got Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and Trent Williams and these guys who are on their own merits, all pros, uh, I think that part of it is they might think Brock Purdy is a good quarterback, but the other uh, aspect of it might be they know that they've got a guy who doesn't have a lot of pedigree, who had his ups and downs in college. And they want to, they don't want him. Look, we've had how many sports psychologists make for, for sports, for pro teams make millions of dollars for a reason because the mental side of the game is so, is so vital. It's so important. You know, when, when you're dealing with somebody like Purdy, who let's face it from a, physical tools standpoint is not elite. He can't do things with the ball that Josh Allen can do or Justin Herbert, guys like that. 
where he's at between the years is super important. It's huge. And so I think more than ever, that's what those guys are trying to do. And I said this, I said this earlier in the year when they went on that losing streak. I wanted to see how Purdy responded. And that was a big deal for me. He rebounded starting with that Jacksonville game after the bye. And the Niners started kicking everybody's ass before they lost to Baltimore last week. But that also coincided with so many of their star players on offense getting healthy. And now the injury bug has hit them again. Williams is probably going to play against Washington, his old team, but he's not 100%. Debo Samuel's having, I think, shoulder problems. Um, Darnold went in and played well, albeit late in the game when Baltimore was in prevent mode. I don't know. Like, I will openly admit here and concede that I have done all kinds of 180s and I have flip-flopped and gone back and forth on Purdy all year. Uh, I, I doubted him before the season started. I bought back in. Now I feel like I want to sell my stock in him again. And I wonder how much... They got very. They got a layup game here in Washington. They should destroy the Commanders. They should. It's a payback game for Chase Young, etc. And then the last game of the year is against the Rams. That's a big game for Purdy now. You know they'll they'll be in not just to uh, sew up the number one overall seed and get the bye. I want to see how he responds against a team that has a penchant for playing the 49ers close like they did back in Week Two this season. So. Is it genuine? Yes. But I don't know if that's, I don't think that that's a sign, Spencer, that they believe that he's the quarterback that can win them a Super Bowl. Well stated. Well stated. Up next, we have your boys, the Seahawks versus the Steelers. You call this a quasi playoff game and the Steelers are going with Mason Rudolph. Is that a good choice? I think it's the only choice for me. And I say that as a guy that has said some now looking back on it, pretty outlandish things about Kenny Pickett and what he was going to become this year. Joe Burrow 2.0, I said he'd get MVP votes. I thought the Steelers were a dark horse to win the Super Bowl. And so to flip it here, uh, to agree with the Steelers' decision to start Mason Rudolph uh, says a lot. I have I have a lot of self-doubt about Kenny Pickett and and where he goes from here. I mean, before he got hurt, you know, he was coming off his best game, maybe in a Steelers uniform against the Bengals, which gave me hope. But then I just watched Rudolph put an even better game on tape against Cincinnati, and he hadn't played an NFL game in two years. So now because of that, I almost dis- I do discount somewhat what Pickett did against the Bengals because I've seen somebody do it better. Uh, for the first time all season with Rudolph in, we saw a quarterback for the Steelers from beginning to end of the game show poise, go through his reads, dissect defenses, throw the ball uh, accurately and confidently downfield. And... If I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm not on any hot seat. The Steelers will never fire him. If he wants, he can go and demand a trade this offseason and somebody will step up with more money and picks and accommodate him. He's not leaving the NFL by any means. 
But if I'm Mike Tomlin, I do feel the heat of the Steelers' lack of postseason success. They haven't won a playoff game in six years. And I'm not going to downplay when I've been trying to find uh, consistent quarterback play since Ben Roethlisberger uh, retired. I've been trying to find somebody to uh, stabilize that position. You can't bench a quarterback after he delivered the goods in incredible fashion. Almost 300 yards, 34 points. The Steelers hadn't scored more than 30 points in a win in more than 50 games. So, you know, I'm, I, I, if you would have told me at the start of the year, I'd be casting my lot and, and keeping my fingers crossed for Mason Rudolph to win a game to get the Steelers to the playoffs, you know, I, I'd be crying. I'd be so despondent. I'd be like, this, there's no way this is not going to happen. This is like the worst outcome in the world. Uh, but now, not only do I think it's, it, it's, it's the only choice, it's the right choice, it's the best choice. And I do have some confidence that Rudolph is going to do it again. Spencer, Seahawks defense is not great. I think the Steelers go there and win, and they live to play another day week 18 against Baltimore. Awesome. All right. Up next, we got the Raiders and the Colts. Should Antonio Pierce be the Raiders' permanent coach going forward? Yeah, but here is my caveat on this. So they have won. They're four and three with uh, Pierce as the coach. The last two wins, including that great win in Kansas City, they've had four defensive touchdowns. The Raiders and Mark Davis have gone down this road before, okay, where they had Basaccia there. After the uh, after the uh, John Gruden uh, controversy and scandal, he goes there, gets promoted. The Raiders make the playoffs. They rally in the season. They dump him for Josh McDaniels. Terrible call. So you want to learn from that. But I don't think that that means, okay, we passed on an interim coach before who got results. Let's hire the next one who does decently or does or does well. There's got to be a plan. And here would be my plan if I'm the Raiders. I would want, I would look at it this way. I bring Pierce back and I would say, look, Antonio, this is what we're going to do. The arrangement in New York, okay, with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, defensive head coach, here's a veteran quarterback that's won a Super Bowl and won uh, three MVPs. He is going to pick. Um, he is going to pick who his offensive coordinator is. We're going to give over. Some, we're going to give over to him some of the franchise. I would try to have a similar arrangement with Russell Wilson. Now, Wilson is not as good as Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to pay him as much. You know, I don't. You're not going to involve him as much in personnel decisions. You know where you know, the, the equivalent of Randall Cobb for Russell Wilson is going to come to the Raiders. But I would want to give, if you're going to hand it over to defensive coach, come up with a plan with a quarterback that works there. And signing Russell Wilson to like a two-year, $60 million deal where he is incorporated into picking the coordinator in the in the direction of the offense, I would... I would try that and see where it goes rather than blow it up with Antonio Pierce, bring in a new coach, and then draft like 
the fourth or fifth best quarterback to be the, to be my guy in the 2024 draft. Awesome. Up next, we got the Giants and the Rams. Tommy DeVito, he's on the bench now. What's your take? What's your take? I don't get this move. Why do we need to see Tyrod Taylor here? This is a this is this is so stupid to me. I'm not uh, you know so delusional that I think Tommy DeVito is going to be you know the heir apparent. He's going to replace Daniel Jones, but he won three games in a row, and then a bad game in New Orleans and a bad half against Philly, who the Giants always get blown out to, even when they have Daniel Jones at quarterback. And you're going back to Tyrod Taylor for what? He's a why do the Giants need to to win games in their last two weeks or attempt to win games with a journeyman quarterback? The two games Taylor started and finished, they scored 14 points and nine points. Maybe in the micro, he gives them a better chance to be competitive against the Rams and the Eagles. I'd rather let DeVito, let it all hang out with him, see if he can sink or swim, figure out if he's a guy that you want to have behind Daniel Jones. I know this is an extreme example because Jones is not Kurt Warner, but the Rams did that with Mark Bolger back in the day. And Bolger was at times a good starting quarterback there and definitely a good backup. He was like a seventh round pick. Uh, I would do that with DeVito. We don't, it's, it's pointless. If I'm a, and and I grew up a Giants fan, there's no sense. I, I would have no desire to watch Tyrod Taylor try to win game 17 to 14 the last two weeks of the season. All right. Up next, we have Jacksonville and the and the Panthers on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the biggest. How would you rate this collapse if the Jags miss the playoffs? Only like a 5 or 6. And that might be stunning because they went from 8 and 3 to 8 and 7. But uh, Trevor Lawrence has left three out of these four games with injuries. And and quarterback play uh, falling off because of Lawrence not being 100% is not their only problem. Their defense has regressed considerably. It all started that Monday night when Jake Browning in his first start lit them up. Um, and if it happens again here to a team that hasn't won on the road, that's lost five road games by double digits, and Bryce Young, the team with the worst record in the NFL, you know, like I might – up that collapse from a six to a seven, but because it's Lawrence and he's, we know it's a new injury every week with him. Yeah. Backup quarterbacks like Joe Flacco have gone in and played great. Uh, If I'm a Jags fan though, I'm not, I'm not looking to tear this down or make wholesale changes. The defensive coordinator might get fired um, there. That might be the one change I would make. Other than that, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this season away and look at it as a lost year because Trevor Lawrence just couldn't stay healthy. I'm not going to blame anybody for it. I don't think there's a lot of culpability there for what's gone wrong. All right, another crazy scenario developing in Denver. Russell Wilson was benched, and it sounds like it's just all about money. Was it the right call? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was the right call because if you stuck with him this year – you got a five-year, $245 million contract that kicks in. Now you're marrying him at that point. And, you know, this is, always happens when these contracts come out. You know, if you're not working in, in the Denver market or if you're not someone that studies contracts or does cap work as like a uh, – if that's not your calling card in the sports media business, you don't know these things inside and out. But, you know, there's fine print in this that allows for Denver to get out of this deal without these injury bonuses kicking in 
the dead money would be, I think, $35 million this first year and $19 million the next year. The cap goes up. The Walton family, the people that own Walmart, they don't mind paying Russell Wilson real money to go away. I think bottom line for me is with quarterbacks, I trust Sean Payton. And, you know, Wilson, I think, is for the most part, if I'm going to give his season a grade, I'd give it like a B-. minus. You know, 26 touchdowns. He's been way better than he was last year with Hackett. Before that Detroit game, I thought Denver was one of the better stories in the NFL. And this combination was proof that Sean Payton could, uh, you know, improve an aging quarterback's play, but also credit to Russell Wilson for adapting uh, in a new system this year. Clearly, uh, there were things behind the scenes that bubbled to the surface, things about Russell Wilson that that Sean Payton didn't like, but he wants to go in a fresh direction. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I think Baker Mayfield, if he doesn't end up in Tampa Bay, is somebody to keep an eye on. Kirk Cousins, too, in Denver. You know, is there a way? Now, he that's tough because he's going to want so much money with the dead cap, but overall, Sean Payton still, for me, is a guy that when it comes to the most important position in football, I think he gets it right more than he gets it wrong. All right. Last group of games. We got Falcons, Bears, Titans, and Texans. What do you got on these two? Yeah, if Danny were here, he'd probably give us something big on the Bears, but I don't really have anything on them uh, right now. You know, Justin Fields still playing for his future there, I suppose, after they beat Arizona last week. I wouldn't look at a win over a 6-8 and eight Falcons team on the road as something that would be a feather in his cap. It would be a game where really the only thing he could do would be to hurt his cause big picture if he didn't play that well. The other thing is uh, Houston, it is saddening, even though you know as a Steelers fan, it helps that Houston has lost some of these games. This concussion stuff with Stroud really sucks because I wanted to see if healthy, what his stats looked like at the end of the year. It's 20 touchdowns, five interceptions. He's going to come back and play in this game. But if he hadn't gotten hurt, there was a chance he was going to eclipse Justin Herbert's rookie quarterback record. That's not going to happen now. Bottom line for them is they never thought they were going to be a playoff team this year. So falling short is not the end of the world. Uh, But I would have liked to have seen Stroud uh, for all 17 games with a chance to get Houston into the playoffs against all odds. And if that happened, then I think D'Amico Ryans would have been coach of the year. and maybe Danny and I's MVP bet on uh, CJ Shroud would have come through. All right. Thanks to Spencer for helping out on this show. Danny will be back for week 17 reaction. If you're listening on a radio affiliate, we are a podcast. So you can subscribe to first and pod on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Just type in first one, the number one ST ampersand pod P O D And we'll come to you Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday. Because of uh, the New Year's Day holiday, we'll be on Tuesday morning, first in pod. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.